How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Ride, and you're listening to the Maximum of Maximum Threshold Radio. Automatic defense procedures initiated. What we've got here is... Maximum voltage. Maximum power. Maximum carnage. This is Maximum Threshold. Call the show at... 440-709-4977. Maximum Threshold. And here's your hosts, Dom. He's unstable, but possibly worse. He's actually quite smart. He just makes errors of judgment along the way.
Hey, good people. What's going on out there? Oh, man. Episode 581 here at the Maximum Threshold Radio Show. Uh, coming at you live here tonight is an ensemble, ensemble show, I guess you can call it. Uh, this one here is a show dedicated uh, to the memory of Frankie Benali, I guess you could say. Man, it's a real, real fucking bummer, man. That's all I can say tonight. Yesterday he passed. Old friend of the show for years and years and years and years, man. He's been on the show numerous times. We talked. Shit. Not even on air. So many times things would happen. And we would just bullshit. And things would come across. This is no lie. Other singers, you know, that that were in the band and we were going to come on our show, he'd intervene and say, hey, man, don't do it. This is no lie. I swear. And he was going to cross paths with us and him. And we would turn it down just because it's Frankie, you know. It's because of, you know, we didn't want to. We didn't want to break that friendship with him. It's too strong with him. It hurt, man. It's a fucking bummer. So, um, yeah. I'm not saying like we were fucking best best buddies and shit, but, you know, he was that kind of guy where, you know, if he thought about something, you know, you could text him, man, and he'd text you back. Or if a show was coming up or something, you know, if there was like an M3 festival or something, he was the go-to person that, that you'd connect with. And, you know, I'd send Michael to go hook up with him or something, and he'd be there with Michael, bullshitting with him and taking pictures with him and stuff. We wouldn't have a, a promotional person. It'd be Frankie, man. He'd be the person there. If Quiet Riot was in town, it'd be Frankie would be the one, you know. He's the person. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be somebody else, you know. It's fucked up, you know. So, you know, all through this whole time with, with him being sick with the pancreatic cancer and stuff like that, you know, every couple of days we'd shoot him a text. We'd hit him up on Facebook, man, just tell me we're there for him and stuff. And we're there supporting him and stuff. And just like everybody else, you know, there was, you know, he was getting bombarded by everybody and stuff. And I know this was so tough on the guy, man, but he was a fighter. And he was an inspiration all the way to the end. Even at the time when he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, everybody was so worried about him. And people thought, you yeah, know, that was it for him. But boom, he popped out. And we're like, oh, he's going to be all right. But you know, man, time was coming. You know, pancreatic cancer doesn't give you time, man. It gives you like six months. He had 16 months, man. He was he was fighting that shit all the way, man. Damn. Let me just give this a couple minutes here. Okay. Well, we start off the show tonight with Thunderbird. 
Uh, it's a cool song, man. And if you listen to words to that, you know, it's um, it's pretty damn deep. And when you listen to it and you hear him and you hear, hear, hear wow, just the lyrics to it. And you hear the vocals to that and so much meaning to that song. It's fucking deep. So I'm not going to be on here bullshitting with you. I'm going to play this interview for you guys and and just um, let you guys hear what we did. We're part of this interview here, and I don't even I don't remember who was who was in who did this interview with him. I don't even know if I was part of this, <laughs> which is the funny part about it. And I just was reading the synopsis of this, and this is about when they were making getting ready to make the movie. And they were talking about the fundraising and all this, and Carlos, and talk about Randy Rhodes and stuff like that, and and stuff. I don't remember this because this was this was a while back, so this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna listen to this as well, and so um, this was pretty cool. Like I said, I don't remember who was who was part of this, so it's gonna be interesting because it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be interesting to listen to this. So I'm gonna hear it right along with you guys and. It's sad, man. It's a fucking real bummer. It's one of these things that when, you know, when people that, that, you know, you've known for years and stuff and who's given part of their time or their life to you. Like this interview I'm about to play is fucking 45 minutes. Somebody who's given that much time of their life, you know, to talk to you on a bullshit station show like this, you know, some knuckleheads like us, and, um, you know, and we do what we do, you know, and, um, you know, what the hell, you know, I, I'm not so much at a loss of words, I'm just... You know, it's like, I don't want to say it's like a family kind of thing, but it's, I'm touched, you know. There's just so much going on around the world, and, you know, you're losing family and friends, and times are tough, and you got so much going on. You know, I got the band and shit going on, and, we, you know, we're finishing up our record, and, yeah, don't forget, man, when Voltan record drops, man, it's going to be a badass record. That's something good to look forward to. You'll love that. Trust me on that. But, yeah, back on, back on Frankie Benali. Okay, man, I'm, when I come back out of this, I got the rock and metal news, and then we're going to get out of here, because it's going to be a long, nice interview. We're going to be right around the hour, hour long time, so. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening in. So, um, and all that. So, man, thanks again for tuning in. This is episode 581 of the Maximum Threshold Radio Show. Hey, man, I'm like I said, I'm sorry I wasn't here for like the last month or so. Like I said, um, if you haven't tuned in, in like the last month or so, you didn't miss nothing because your ass didn't know I was gone anyways. So I was doing shit. Okay. Anyways, so here you go. Here's Frankie Benali on the Maximum Threshold Radio Show. This is a few years ago, a bunch of years ago, but it seemed like it was just yesterday. 
And Frankie, see you soon. Wow, this is old, man. Boom, boom, I go to lights. You are listening to an <laughs> exclusive interview here on Maximum Threshold. Maximum Threshold radio show is every Saturday night from 8 to 11 p.m. exclusively at MaximumThreshold.net. See you guys in a little bit, man. Don't go anywhere. Listen to this. Maximum Threshold, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, Dominic, please. Oh, this is Dominic. Hi, Dominic. Frank Benali from Quiet Riot. Hey, Frankie, what's going on, man? Oh, same old, same old. How you doing, my friend? Oh, pretty good, man. Just doing the show, man. Just, just waiting for you to call in. Yeah, I'm look, I was looking forward to hearing you um, calling here because I know you got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm glad you, can, you could be on here and share with everybody. How could I not call you a nice Italian <laughs> boy like you? Sounds good, man. So what's, what's the word? What's the haps? Uh, well, as you uh, probably already know, I've been working on this um, documentary, this Quiet Ride documentary, for a while now, and I'm mm-hmm. very, very excited about it, and uh, that's what we're here to talk about. Cool. Yeah. Or anything else you want to talk about. Oh, I want to hear about Frankie. I want to know what Frankie's been up to in this documentary, man. This is this is very intriguing. People in the chair have been asking about this as soon as they found out you were coming on here. Well, you know, essentially what happened um, when Kevin Dubrow, God rest him, passed away, uh, nearly three years ago, in November of 2007, uh, I immediately sort of just uh, personally shut down um, for about a year or so. I didn't even bother picking up a pair of drumsticks because, you know, I met Kevin in 1979. We started working together um, a few months into 1980. And for the better part of uh, of that, you know, 28-year friendship, uh, we played in a band together and we were friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, you know, it was just a very, uh, it was just a very, very difficult uh, time for uh, for Kevin's family and uh, and for me personally. Um, and it was just recently, about maybe a year ago, that uh, that I started. <laughs> okay, Frankie, how long were you talking before you found out you weren't on the, on our line? Actually, I, I ordered something from the Chinese place oh. for uh, dinner. But, you know, I, I, I don't feel like making any gravy and, uh, and noodles tonight. Uh, so um, how much did you get? And we'll start. Oh, man, it was at the beginning. <laughs> I lost you. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just pretend I just finished calling. Hey, uh, hey, Dom, is this you? Yeah, it's me. What's up, Frankie? Hey, <laughs> how you doing? Oh, pretty good. Um, anyway, as I, as I was trying to say, and... Mm. Um, and uh, stop me if you've heard this before, um, but after uh, after Kevin DeBro passed away um, in November 2007, uh, I literally shut down for uh, for a year. I pick up drumsticks. Um, you know, I was pretty much just just a walking wounded around trying to make um, trying to make sense of, of what had happened because you know with with Kevin passing away, um, you know half of my adult life went with him because oh, yeah. I met him in 1979. Started working with him uh, a few months into 1980, um, and on and off, uh, mostly on. We we worked together for um, for you know nearly 27 years, and oh, wow. and that was that was pretty pretty traumatizing. And you know, understand, I'm not I'm not trying to rewrite history in any way, shape, or form like a lot of people do when somebody passes away. Um, Kevin and I were were 
in a band together. But you know, we were more than just than just really, really best friends, uh, and we were even more than brothers. And as such, our friendship was was incredibly strong. But you know, at times, um, you know, we were we were on opposite sides of the fence, and it's well documented. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm by no no means trying to rewrite history or anything, but. Oh, yeah. The true test of uh, of a friendship is the fact that no matter how bad it got, and at times it got really, really bad, we always managed to come back to square one and resolve our differences and uh, and put that in the past and move forward. And I'm really grateful that um, that in the end um, we we could have been any closer than than we already were. I mean, we used to sit around and talk about. Uh, when we got really, really old, we'd be doing we'd be doing the uh, the Vegas circuit, doing doing the Quiet Riot material, and that he was going to have a, a walker, that he was going to have whoever his uh, tech was at the time uh, doing black and white stripes, you know, uh, make sure that we had, you know, the that the yellow um, tennis balls at, at, at the at the feet of the uh, walker were going to be done in black and white stripes. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had uh, we had a very very strong uh, very very strong bond and. Um, so it took me quite a while to actually um, start going through my archives. Besides collecting all things Quiet Ride, which I always did, for half of the band's history, the, the latter half of the band's history, for 13 years I also managed the band, which I still continue to do. And in that capacity, I accumulated an incredible wealth of material. And the material spans the entire um, history of the band, meaning the history from, from what is considered the Metal Health lineup on and a few things even before. I have footage of a show I did with a different band in 1980, and Kevin was in the audience. That was the first time he actually oh, wow. came to a show and saw him play. And, and that night is the night we talked about you know getting together and working together, which happened a few months later when uh, he had his own band called Dubrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started playing with him. And out of everybody in Dubrow, I was, uh, I was the constant figure because there was a lot of bass players and guitar players that came in and out of the band. I have a show from 1982 that was, um, that was shot at a club out here in L.A. Um, before we had actually gone in to record Metal Health, and, and it was, I think, Carlos Cabasso's second gig with the band with Chuck Wright on bass and Kevin and myself. Uh, and the material spans all the way from then through professionally shot shows in 2007, a few months before Kevin... God rest them, passed away. But everything in between, I have footage of us uh, on tour buses and backstage uh, in the bathrooms of hotel interviewing complete strangers because Kevin and I garnered uh, two nicknames that were given to us by um, other people. One was the Kamikaze Twins when we were really being really, really bad boys. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was the Kevin and Frankie show. Um, so there's so much material there. There's, uh, there's home movies of us out on vacations, uh, everything. So I've got hundreds and hundreds of hours of material, uh, that we've been transferring from the media of its time onto digital media. And I'm happy to say that we've lost none of the footage. It's all intact. And, uh, and we continue to make, uh, improvements on, on the footage. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a work in progress and uh, we'll see, we'll see if we can make it a reality. Do you have any of the footage with Randy when he was in there? Actually, there there is uh, Randy footage that exists, but I am very careful with with all things uh, Randy wrote for a couple of reasons, mm-hmm. out of respect for for Randy's memory and his legacy, and out of respect for Randy's family. And I know that um, over over time, 
you know, a lot of people have said that that the success of Quiet Riot, you know, was in part based on on the success of Randy Rhodes, which really is an inaccuracy oh, because yeah. you really have to look at the two bands as two different bands. The the first version of the band with with the great late Randy Rhodes and now Kevin um, and Drew Forsyth on drum and Kelly um, Drew Forsyth on drums and Kelly Garney on bass mm-hmm. were a completely different band, and that band broke up uh, in 1979. So from 1979 until uh, 19, late 1982, early 1983, there really wasn't a Quiet Riot, and the Quiet Riot that gained success was was the band that came out in 1983. Uh, I think a lot of people know that there were two records that were released by the first version of the band were only released in Japan, and sadly, neither record did anything, and neither one to date in the United States. So. It's two separate things. So while there are some um, references about Randy and passing, it really is about the Quiet Riot that began in 1982 and, and achieved success uh, in 1983. How, how was it when you picked up Carlos when he got involved? How was the whole vibe well, on there? The, the situation with Carlos was interesting because what happened is we had had a number of guitarists um, coming in and out of the Dubrow band, uh, the core of the band was Kevin and myself, um, and then Chuck Wright spent uh, a good bit of time in the band as well. Rudy Sarzo was in Dubrow, mm-hmm. uh, a number of other bass players, and, and quite a number of guitarists. The guitarist that was in that version of the band the most was a guitarist named Bob Steffen, who, who was a wonderful guitarist. He was very much like uh, in the style of Brian May. But okay. um, at, one, yeah, at one point, Bob decided that uh, it just really, there were just really wasn't working out. Um, and, uh, and we parted companies with him. And we had another guitar player in the band for a while who was incredibly talented, but he was very inexperienced. He really hadn't played in any bands before. Uh, and there were some real-time issues. And after the second show we did with, with that guitarist, I said to Kevin, you know, the next gig, if he's there, I'm not. I, I can't take this. I can't deal with this. And so he said, well, you know, what do you want to do? Who do you recommend? And I had gotten together, um, I had run into, rather, into the manager of this band called Snow, which was the band that Carlos Cavazzo came out of. And I had heard Snow a number of times, and I was always really impressed with Carlos. He was, he was more then in the style of Eddie Van Halen than the style uh, which he developed and came into his own with Quiet Riot, but just just phenomenal guitar playing. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, we should get. I refer to him as that kid. We should get that kid, Carlos Cavazzo. <laughs> uh, and it and it started it started from that foundation. And then Carlos started playing with the band. And and a wonderful addition. Carlos is a phenomenal guitar player. He always was. He was in Snow. He certainly was in uh, in in Quiet Riot, and he still is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carlos is a good, great fan of ours here at Maxim Threshold, and a good friend also. He's been on here a good dozen times, and you know, always kept us up to date, and never said anything negative about you know the old days and anything like that. And he always said it was it was a, an awesome experience, and he just loved you know the whole vibe that was always out there and all everything that surrounded the band. He never had anything negative to say. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, the really interesting thing about his guitar playing, uh, I don't know if a lot of people have picked up uh, on this or not, but um, I think the basis of his, of his style, which then he made it into his own and then took it 
um, another another step altogether. Uh, it was based on on the guitarist Neil Sean and and also Michael Schenker. There's a, there's a lot of their playing in his uh, in his guitar playing, but he took it to a whole other level. Just just unbelievable playing. Um, and you know, I'm really really happy for him that he's found a home with Rat. And uh, I, you know, I hope the guys in, in Rat appreciate him for for what a great guitarist he is. Uh, and they're very, very lucky to have him. So I wish both Carlos and uh, and all the guys in Rat nothing but the best. Cool. Uh, let's see here. I got questions here from Jeff Kiss. He wants to know the documentary you're making. Um, how how long does it, do you think it's going to take before it's going to be able to hit the streets? Well, you know, right now we've got. Uh, we should talk about. We should talk about the uh, the fundraising efforts that we have. But right now, um, I think. Uh, it will continue if we if we do get the funding. I think it'll continue through the end of the year. So hopefully, uh, sometime after the beginning of next year, uh, with the understanding that anything having to do with with film is is very time consuming on on a lot of different levels. But uh, we're hoping for for the um, the first um, quarter of uh, 2011. Cool. Uh, let's see. I got a question from Rad Chad. He wants to know if he's ever played on the old Starwood in Hollywood. And how was the vibe back then? Yeah, actually, um, I used to go to the Starwood all the time, um, oddly enough, to go see Quiet Riot. Rudy Sarzo and I have known each other since 1972. We met um, in November of, and I actually know the actual date, but it was November of 1972. And so when he joined um, Quiet Riot, of course, I used to go, you know, he caught me to the shows, and I used to go see them. And especially at the Starwood, and um, I went for for a couple of reasons. I went because Rudy was my friend, yeah. and I went because uh, Randy Rhodes was just the most phenomenal guitarist around. Period, hands down. Nobody could touch him then. Nobody has come close to him now. Oh, and uh, and I love Kevin's vocal because he had this great quality of, of having this really wonderful range, but he could also sing it with a lot of rasp, which which for me. You know, I'm I'm like uh, I'm like the guy that appreciates singers. You know, uh, Paul Rogers and um, and Freddie Mercury, people like that. Uh, of course, the the late great Steve Marriott, which was Kevin's favorite. But the other reason I went is because they drew more girls than any other band. So the Starwood was the place to go. And there was actually we actually did a show one time at the Starwood that had um, Kevin and Rudy in um, in I think it was in Quiet Riot at the time. Carlos was in Snow, and the band that I was in that Kevin first saw me playing in Dubrow was the opening act. So all the uh, future members of the Metal Health Choir Ride were on stage, uh, just not at the same time, but on the same night. Oh, cool. Uh, let's see here. I'm, I'm just I'm just popping out the questions here. They're not so much going to be in like um, any familiar or any order. This is like kind of just different different order. So I got a question. Yeah, no problem. This one's here. Another one from Jeff Kiss. He wanted to know. He said, "What are your memories of working with Ronnie James Dio on the Hearing Aid Project?" Um, it, it was really interesting because how I got involved in the Hearing Aid Project initially came from uh, Vivian Campbell. Vivian called me up and, and told me about the project, and he actually came over to my house and uh, and he played me the the basic structure of the song. And he said, you know, they really hadn't finalized anything yet, but would I be interested? And I said, yeah, of course. Um, and um, it came, but quite a few months went by, and I had just gotten back from a South American tour with Quiet Riot, and I got the call to uh, to come in. There was no rehearsal involved. Everything was done 
in one day. But I was absolutely thrilled. We did it at a, at a studio out here called Found City. And I was thrilled because here, for all intents and purposes, I was given the privilege to be the second drummer uh, with Dio because oh, it was wow. the Dio band. It was Vivian Campbell on guitar and um, um, obviously Ronnie Vinny Apathy on drums. And uh, uh, the, the bass player's name escapes me. And and I love the guy, but his name escapes me now. But <laughs> at any rate, um, so it was it was great. And we went in there and we started uh, hashing down the tune so that I could learn it. And, uh, and it was really funny because there were a couple of sections in there that have uh, drum trade-offs. You know, Vinny would do four and I would do four or vice versa. And when we got to the end of the song, Vinny and I would keep playing. And finally, you know, Ronnie had had about enough. And he, you know, pushes the button on the talk back and he says, okay, you too. Stop <laughs> it. You know? Uh, but it was great because Vinny and I discussed that, you know, we wanted it to sound like one big huge drummer so i brought in a drum set that was very similar to his as far as you know it was uh, a maple drum set no covering so mm -hmm. that the sound would be consistent and uh, and we you know we watched each other like hawks just to make sure that everything was nice and tight and it sounds like one big huge drummer but with uh, with our own individual personalities and our own individual uh, style of fills oh, wow. it was great it was a, it was an honor it was an honor and a privilege to do it and by the way that that black and white checkered suit that i wore for the section where everybody's doing the gang vocals. I did that on a dare. <laughs> you still have that? I, I actually, I still have that suit. I was supposed to return it to Arnold, uh, Arnold Palmer because he was supposed to be doing the Tonight Show in that suit, but uh, you know, I, I forgot. So. <laughs> yeah, do you have um, any of your gears like at the Rock Hall or anything like that? I'm sorry? Do you have any of your clothes or anything or your gear that you had from back in the day? Is there any Rock Hall or any um, Hard Rock cafes or anything? There's there's a couple of things. There's a snare drum that I used on on the track "Winners Take All" from the Condition Critical that I believe is at uh, at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe in um, uh, at the Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. Uh, there are some items of of clothing of Kevin's and um, and I think a symbol of mine and the QR3 bass drum head at the Hard Rock uh, Hotel in um, Orlando, Florida. Um, you know, there, there's some things spread around, so it, but it's really hard to say because they have so much that it's hard to say what ended up where and if it's still up. Oh. I know that Rudy was laughing because he told me a story that there's a there's a hard rock cafe somewhere. I don't know if it's in South America, and they have a they have a beat up acoustic guitar attributing it to be his bass. So you just <laughs> never know what you're getting. <laughs> I believe that. <clears throat> Let's see here. Um, I got a question here in the chat room. They want to know. You know, from what got you to move from New York to L.A.? Was it just straight up the music scene that that made you want to move out that way? Well, actually, my parents uh, moved from from New York City um, to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, because they they figured that I was getting way too much trouble in New York. So we ended up uh, going down to Florida first, and uh, and my basic choices, you know, I, I was doing really, really well in Fort Lauderdale, and I was having a great time and playing the area, but it was like big fish in small pond. Yeah. So my choices, essentially, there were just two major uh, music capitals in the United States, New York and California, and uh, California had the better weather. So that, that was really yeah, the yeah. only real reason. It was further, but the weather was better, and I figured if I'm going to starve, I'm going to starve in comfort. That's it. What was some of the early, this is coming from Rad Chad in the chat room. He wants to know about some of the early experiences that you could talk about that you want to leak out from your documentary that other people would find interesting. 
like a little teaser? Um, you know, I would rather have them uh, have them go to. We've got this site that we set up for uh, to try to fund the project because. I've spent a good deal of my my own money in the project, and obviously my resources and the material and all of that. And if you go to Kickstarter.com and search "Quiet Riot," it'll uh, it'll take you to this little picture icon of the van. And if you hit on there, um, there's a teaser clip that you can watch, which is you know very 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 humorous, and it'll tell you about the uh, our fundraising efforts. Um, and there's different packages that, uh, if you decide you want to be a backer, there's different packages that you can opt to, uh, to back on anything from $10 on up. And each, uh, dollar point gets you, um, your own little personal package that you will get oh, wow. from me if we get funded. Now, the thing, the thing about the Kickstarter.com, if you go to that, to that page, the Quiet Ride page, um, it'll tell you everything about the project. It'll give you a synopsis. You'll see some pictures there. Uh, and if you become a backer, so far to date, I've uploaded about 50 minutes, almost an hour's worth of raw, rare footage from my archives so that the backers can, uh, can actually have a private viewing of some of this material, and only the backers can see it. Uh, so that is really one, one way to look at it. Uh, we've got 19 days to go, and we're at $8,025, oh, and uh, our goal is $20,000, and... In the next 19 days, if we don't if we don't reach that goal, then the whole thing goes away. But the beauty about it is there's a, a little green box that says "Back This Project," and if you click on that, it takes you to a page that tells you if you want to become a backer, how you do it. And what I really like about the system is that once you give them your information, no funds are transferred. In other words, whether you back for for ten dollars or any amount. No funds are taken from your credit card or held. That will only happen if we reach the minimum goal right before the 19 days. And the other thing that's important to know is that um, all of the transfers are done securely through Amazon.com, so it's not some kind of fly-by-night situation. Um, And, you know, I, I did it this way for a couple of reasons. I wanted to see if the fans were interested enough in seeing this documentary made to, to back it or support it in whatever way um, they feel they can. And the other reason I did it this way is that um, I could have gone the corporate route, you know, gone with a record label or a film uh, company uh, or some independent corporate entities. But the problem with that when I researched it is that they would want a documentary done to serve their means, and their means is to make a profit. And the chances of this making a profit or recouping is probably very small at best. But if I do it with a corporate entity, then you're not going to get what what the documentary should be about. And we're really looking forward to uh, to being able to be successful to make it because the beauty about it is that when you do a documentary like this and you put it out on DVD, you have uh, an almost infinite possibility of putting so much bonus features on it because a documentary can only be so long. Oh, yeah. But on a DVD format, you'll have the documentary and then all the material that people want to see. And I tell you, I have got club shows. I have got um, international shows. I have got things from, from the height of Kauai Rise success um, all the way through 2007 and everything in between, and it exists nowhere else. Oh, that that's not, I really really hope you can pull this off and really you know you know bring it out of fruition and everything. Um, the, the, um, couple of, you know, what, they got me stuttering over here. <laughs> uh, one of the no things, problem. That's one of the questions I have. 
is after you get this documentary, if it does take off, will you be thinking about putting taking Quiet Riot back on the road again? Well, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that lately, and here, here's the thing: yeah. when when Kevin when Kevin a few months after Kevin passed away, um, I was in the in the deepest depression you could ever find because you know not only did did the band go away, but you know my closest friend went away, and and we were together for so many years, and like Kevin would call me, I mean no exaggeration, twenty to forty times a day. And anything from he'd call and say, uh, uh, Frankie, uh, uh, did you send me the flight information for for the next run? Yes, Kevin, it's in your computer. And he'd hang up and call back. What's the weather like? <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I said, I sent you an email that that says, you know, bring a coat. And he'd hang up and he'd call again, you know, twenty minutes later. Should I bring the blue scarf or the black scarf? And I'd say, <laughs> bring both. They don't take any. They don't take that much room. You know, it was this kind of stuff. We had that kind of friendship. Um, so when when he passed away, there was this huge void in my life, and and I, it was inconceivable for me. The the gamut of emotions that that run through with me when I have watched this footage now for I've been looking at the stuff uh, almost constantly now for about eight months has been everything from hysterical laughter. I mean, just bent over on the floor laughing because there was a lot of comedy from all the members in the band, but especially from Kevin and me. Uh, to to just amazement that I've actually managed to capture some of some of the some of the footage that I have, to incredible sense of loss because now the only way I can see my friend or hear him is in these pieces of film. Um, but the the one emotion that I wasn't prepared for was the missing of of the of the physical being in the band and going out on the road and playing those songs because I have not played a choir ride song live uh, or in a jam or in any way, shape, or form with anyone since the last Choir Rise show we did um, on November 4th of 2007. So it's hard to say what's going to happen from this point on because I, you know, I miss Kevin and I can't get him back no matter how much I wish I could, but I also miss the band. Oh, yeah, I can believe it. I got to see you guys numerous times over the years. i seen you play real little, itty-bitty little, little little clubs in Cleveland, like along the river and stuff like that. And, and every time I seen you from a small club to a larger club to a major venue, that you guys always brought the same passion, the same power, and you guys always brought it every time. It didn't matter where you guys played at. It's just one of those things that you, when you think of the band, you try to pick out certain things. And the thing I always remembered was the power that you guys put out there to the audience. Well, you know, our position... Our position always was that when we got up on that stage, be it be it you know the uh, Madison Square Garden or or stage the, the the size of a postage stamp, our attitude was always that that stage was ours. Oh yeah. And our gig was the most important thing on the face of the earth because we didn't know if we were going to be able to get to do it another day. Um, and and so we always did the best possible job that we could. The other, and we did it really for ourselves, but the other reason we did it is if 10,000 people paid the money for a ticket or if 10 people paid the money for the ticket, they deserve the same show. Those 10 deserve the same show as the 10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so we never, we never took it for granted. I mean, our whole day revolved around 
that hour and a half, two hours on stage, depending on the situation. So, you know, we always appreciated the fan support, and even when there was, uh, and even when there were those periods where where the support wasn't as big or as strong as it was in the past. Like I said, ten people in the audience, you get the ten thousand uh, person audience show. Oh, I I agree. You guys, you guys did bring it, man. Every time, like I said, every time I saw, I was really impressed. I always thought each show I saw, you guys, guys were better, and you guys really gelled. And it was just something. No matter you know where you guys are playing, it was just one of those things you just felt. That was that's cool. You don't well, see that these days. I was days really with proud. I was really, I was really proud of the fact that that the the spirit of of what Quiet Riot meant to us um, always transcended everything else and regardless of you know we had a lot of different um, musicians and great musicians that that passed through quiet ride at any given time uh some came and left some came and left and came back uh but the thing about it is that that spirit that thing that was quiet riot was the spirit that we all shared and no matter who was in the band at any at any given period of time we always shared that feeling you know we have to go out there and do the greatest job we can sucking was not an option oh yeah what was your favorite song that you helped put together with the band um there are a lot of them i think probably the most significant one is is uh uh metal health slash bang your head depending on on what you want to call it because you know as as much as i'm grateful for the success that we achieved through through the Come Off Feel the Noise song, the one song that really was the epitome of what we felt Quiet Rye was about, and especially early on, was Bang Your Head. And I think that's one of the reasons that that song has become so such an anthem for the band and equally as important um, as Come Off Feel the Noise. I mean, that, that song is the core of what the band was about. What was your... Um, did you have any input on, the, on that video from that? Um, oh, when we did the uh, video for Metal Health, well, the funny yeah. thing about the video for Metal Health is this. We did that video before, uh, we felt so strongly about that song that we were able to convince the label to let us do that video. That was the first video we did. And it came out and basically was completely and totally ignored. Oh, and wow. then we went in and did, and we went and did Come On, Feel the Noise. And then when that came out and became a hit, uh, then it dragged uh, it dragged back up um, the mental health video. Yeah, a couple of things I remember about it is we did it on a shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that you know the scene where Kevin comes down you know, from the ceiling oh, in, yeah. in that harness. Mm-hmm. He did not want to get in that harness for <laughs> love or money, and so I got in the harness and I went up and down and up and down and up and down <laughs> so many times. And, and then you know Kevin figures, okay, he's he's. He hasn't gotten hurt yet, so I'm going to try it. And then to goad him, I wouldn't get out of the harness until he got really pissed off. And then he got in the harness and he did it, and everything was great. Um, I know that there were there were three there were three masks used for the uh, four masks that were used for that video. Um, one of them, I know that uh, I think the the director of the video has oh, wow. one of them was stolen. Uh, one of them was burnt, as you can see in the video, and the other one I have. <laughs> Would you be willing um, to auction that off for the money to, to make your documentary? No. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't, can't do it. As a matter of fact, I just looked over my shoulder and it's hanging there on the wall, and, and just even the thought of that made the mask frown and shake its head no. So I'm, I'm going with what the mask says. Can you ever thought about, like, um, 
make making a copy of it and then you know then auctioning it off saying this is a duplicate of the original one trying to make some money off it like I, that you know, I, I i haven't really thought about it i mean that that one piece of memorabilia is is really important to me um for a couple of reasons it, it you know it's one of the four uh, mm-hmm. We actually took it out on the mental health tour, and uh, and sometimes Kevin would put it on before we did Bang Your Head, and sometimes when he got tired of doing that, he would give it to me, and I would put it on for that. It was also the same one that I used on the um, the Wild and the Young video. So, you know, it's like, I mean, who would want a copy of, of the original? I mean, you know, if, if there's enough interest out there, uh, eat, uh, find me on Facebook and tell me you want it, and I'll have some made. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, do you have any other projects that you're working on, like any band projects or anything like that? I've continued to do sessions. Uh, I started um, actively accepting sessions again about a year ago. Um, so I keep doing that for for a variety of different acts. Uh, nothing really, nothing really uh, uh, band wise at the moment. Um, I know that I'm going to be going over to Japan uh, to Tokyo in October. Um, to do a couple of dates, a warm-up date at a 7,000-seater in Kobe with uh, a Japanese guitarist named Kuni, okay. whose record I played on, uh, I think, in 1987 or 88. Uh, and then the next day, we're playing Loud Park, which is the big uh, heavy oh, metal big festival yeah. in Tokyo. Yeah, and we're playing the same day that Ozzy is headlining, so uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, I'm still unsure as to as to what I'm going to do in the long term. I mean, I've got a couple of ideas, but... They're not really quite fleshed out at the moment. Cool. Okay, I got a couple of random other questions here to ask you before we let you go. Uh, one is they want they're, they're asking questions, Chairman. They want to know if you're in into Devo. If you heard their new the new one that they have out. In in which which band? Devo. Nope. No. Don't know anything about it. I am so I'm so entrenched in in the music that I've always listened to ever since I was a kid. Um, which uh, which is you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the great British bands from the late sixties and seventies that I I really haven't heard too much new music mm-hmm. I, I rarely turn on the radio uh, you know my iPod is going and uh, and that's pretty much it I self program so I'm afraid I have uh, I have no comment <laughs> gotcha on that what is some of the some of the stuff you have in your iPod um. Everything, everything from uh, from Led Zeppelin and Queen, uh, the Beatles, Lenny Kravitz, um, Average White Band, Tower of Power, oh, wow. Buddy Rich, Weather Report, um, you know Herbie Hancock, Miles Davis. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty wide. It's pretty wide. Gotcha on that one, uh, Frankie. Can you do me a quick favor here? Uh, do whatever you need, except, uh, well, you know what I mean, proposition me, right? I'll just ask you see if you can do a promo ID for our show. Say your name, your band, Absolutely. with, and throw something crazy out at the end. Make sure you say you're listening to Maximum Threshold. All right, let me know when you're ready. I'm ready, anytime you are. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Ride, and you're listening to the Maximum of Maximum Threshold Radio. That was great. Frankie, one more time, where's that link at where people can go to donate? Okay, if you go to kickstarter.com, that's K-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com, and when you go to that site, uh, put in the search feature, you put in Quiet Riot, and it will take you to a picture of the band. And if you hit that icon, it will take you to a home page, mm-hmm. and everything you need to know 
uh, about the documentary is uh, is there in color and black and white. Cool. The Hellion and um, Zar Zar Jimbo already said they they're, they want the links so they go there and start donating. So we got some people right off the bat that's going to jump on that and try to help you out. And I'm definitely I'll, I'll plug whatever I can do to help you. Um, they get get people there. So you say so you say there's you got like nine more days. Uh, we've got 19 days to oh, meet our goal. We're uh, we're about a third of the way. I think maybe 40 percent of the way um, through. So we'll see what happens. But. I really encourage uh, if you want to see, like I said, it's almost an hour's worth of um, of video clips that I've uploaded for backers only, oh, wow. and I continue to do it um, on almost a daily basis. So I think that uh, I think that probably by the end of the week and beginning of the week, there'll be an hour of rare clips, um, rare clips on there that only the backers can see. And uh, and you know, it's it, I mean, when you think about it, so many different pieces. I mean, I can tell you that um, I uploaded a 1984 um, clip of, uh, of the band doing Bang Your Head live. Uh, I uploaded uh, an, an interview with Kevin Dubrow from 84 that he talked about both the band Dubrow and early Quiet Riot. Um, there's, um, there's a show in there that I put on about three days ago, and it was three years ago to the day uh, that it's Quiet Riot live playing, so, you know, that was kind of timely. There's a number of the Kevin and Frankie comedy show things, mm-hmm. you know, hotel room comedy, bathroom comedy. Uh, there's just so much that the backers are getting to see. And, and again, uh, by the beginning of the week, there'll probably be an hour's worth of clips there that only backers can see. So come on, step up to the bar, because I, uh, I can't make this documentary by myself. I've got the material. I've invested money in it, but I need to know that the fans want to see it, and I need to know that the fans want to support it. Sounds good. Hey, Frankie, I want to thank you very much for taking time out and, and spending some time with us and our thousands of listeners out there. And, and yeah, like I said, whenever you got anything you're out, you want to promote or anything like that, you got my number. Just give us a call, man. I'll, I'll throw you on here any Saturday night. Just let me know. I truly appreciate it. Anything you need from my end, um, you know how to find me, yep. and uh, and we'll go from there. And you know, uh, hopefully, we can get together sometime, and uh, you know, maybe have a little grappa together. How's so, that? Sounds good to me. All right, my friend. Okay, you have yourself a wonderful evening, and thanks again for being on the show. Take care. You have a great weekend, and uh, my best regards to all the listeners at Maximum Threshold Radio. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Take care, buddy. You too. And there you have it, Frankie Benelli. Quiet ride here on Maximum Threshold Radio. So here we go, man. This one goes out to all you guys, and this is a song that he said was his favorite one, Bang Your Head, Metal Health, here on Maximum Threshold Radio. Back after this, here on Maximum Threshold. Done it!
You have just listened to an exclusive interview on Maximum Threshold. Be sure to tune in to the Maximum Threshold radio show every Saturday night from 8 till 11 p.m. Eastern at MaximumThreshold.net. Hey guys, this is Ron from YouTube's Rock and Metal News, and this is your Maximum Threshold Rock and Metal News report. Napalm Death have released a new song titled Immoral. It's on YouTube now and digital retailers. The song is off their new upcoming album, Throws of Joy in the Jaws of Defeatism, and it is out through Century Media on September the 18th. Nikki Six's 6AM released a new version of the song, Maybe It's Time. It's on YouTube now. There are a bunch of cool guests on the song, such as Slipknot vocalist Corey Taylor, Def Leppard vocalist Joe Elliott, Brantley Gilbert, Five Finger Death Punches, Ivan Moody, Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash, and Bad Wolves vocalist Tommy Vex. They are drawing attention to the opioid addiction crisis and are raising funds for recovery. And the band Tala have released a music video for their new single, Overconfidence. It's on YouTube now in digital retailers, and it's off of their debut album, Matrophagy, and it's going to be out on October the 2nd. And Avenged Sevenfold have released an official live video performing Nightmare in Salt Lake City, Utah, back on August the 11th, 2017. So you can check that out now on YouTube. And continuing with your MaximumThreshold.net rock and metal news, Chemists have stated they will be in the studio with producer Dave Otero for their new album. They booked time at Flatline Audio in Westminster, Colorado for the album, and they will uh, probably start in September. So uh, that'll be great. New Chemists maybe late this year, probably early next year, though. And System of a Down bassist Shavo and his band North Kingsley released a three-song EP. It's titled Volume 1, and it's out through 22 Red Media. They released a song called Shotguns and put out a music video for that, so you can check that out now on YouTube. The track list is Die for the Pick, Like That, and Shotguns. And finally, here's some cool news. Behemoth, they have announced a live performance, a live stream. It's going to be called In Absentia Die, and the concert will be streamed on September the 5th, and it will be held at a church. They call it a secret church location with a simple, uh, with a uh, special opening performance from Imperial Triumphant. You can check out the trailer and the link uh, on YouTube. So they have a trailer out on YouTube now, and uh, It will be on high-definition 4K with an immersive experience option, allowing viewers to choose from eight different camera angles. So you can go to www.behemoth.live and get some tickets for that. That should be an amazing show. This is Ron from YouTube's Rock and Metal News with a Z, and this has been your Maximum Threshold Rock and Metal News Report. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this week's edition of the Max and Threshold Radio Show. Getting ready to close down this regular portion of the show. Um, man, this was the Frankie Benali episode, episode 581 of the Max and Threshold Radio Show. We're going to come back and kick off episode 582. I don't know what the hell we're going to do, but we're going to do something, and we're going to make we're going to have fun with that one. But we're going to close it off with this. Uh... I didn't have anything planned on what I was going to say or anything, but I just wanted to see this. <sighs> and life is precious. Uh, don't take don't take every day for granted. Yeah, every day is a gift. Remember that.
cherish the things around you. Cherish those around you. Uh, the people that are in your life, they're in there for a reason. The people you interact with. Things that you see. Things that you hear. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, things that you see around you. Uh, when you walk outside, man, look to the sky. Look for something new that you've never seen before. Be, be blessed for the things that you see, man. Things are things are put in front of you for a reason. So if you have a shitty day, a shitty night before, there's things that are put 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 out there uh, to make you forget about it. I give you a, give you an example. So one day I had a really fucked up day before, and um, my 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 granddaughter was over. And she was like, Fafa, she was, I'm having a really bad day. And I was like, your Fafa has bad days too. That's what she calls me, your Fafa. And um, she goes, it doesn't get better. I said, let me tell you. I said, you know, I have really bad days and I have real bad days at work. And I said, but you know what? Let me tell you what I did. This is what happened to me today, this morning when I got up. This morning when I got up, I thought I was going to have a really bad day, you know, because I'm going to go to work and my work is really rough on me. So when I got up in this morning, I opened my eyes. I was alive. So that was a good thing. I said, when I got up and I saw you laying there on the couch, you were sleeping. That was a good thing. And I walked out, I got ready for work and I left for work. I, when I walked outside... There was a little bird's nest out there. I looked outside and a little baby bird was there. And the little bird took its first flight and it flew off. And that was a good thing. I said, then I started driving out of my driveway. And I started driving. I got out in the middle of the street and there was a deer standing out there. And the deer just stood there and looked right at me. It wouldn't move. Just stared right at me. And just looked at me. Like it was trying to tell me something. And it just took its time and just then eventually walked away. And then I drove. I drove down the street. And I got got down the street and then I got on the freeway and I was just driving. I wasn't thinking about it. And then I saw a bunch of bunch of birds flying by. And then I was thinking, you know, that's real pretty, whatever, you know. So I started getting thick going down, and I was thinking, man, I'm going ready to go to work. This is really going to suck, you know. And then I started going down this main strip. It takes me down to get ready to go to work to my building. And I saw all these little baby ducklings and his mama duck. So there, there's like 15 little baby ducks, and they were all with their mama duck. And they all just started walking across the street, and I had to stop. And you just had to watch them all just take their time crossing the street. And all these all these little things that they came across made you take your mind out of all the bad things that are going on in life. It had to make you refocus. And make you think about the wonderful things that are out there. And to take all that shit that's there and to get rid of it. So what I'm just trying to say is yeah, there is a lot of shit in your life, but you need to push that shit out of your head 
and just to look at the beautiful things that are out there and just remember that there's beautiful things out there that are there for you. You just have to look for them. Then when you see them, you need to absorb them and take them in and think about them when that shit is coming at you. And don't let that shit get to you, if that makes sense. You know, and I know life sucks at times. It can really fucking really blow. And, and I'm not going to be a downer and tell you, man, my life has been really fucking sucking lately. You know, having a lot of people in my family dying and I, I don't want to be like that. But I just want to say, look for the good things in life. Life is good. Life is beautiful. Live life with a smile, even when life is shitting on you. That's all I got to say about that. So, I'll see you guys. I don't know about next week. I'm supposed to be going to the studio next week. I think we're going next Sunday. So, if, if I'm here next Saturday, um, it's my birthday next next the 25th. So, I don't know if they're, they're throwing a birthday party for me here or not. So, I don't know what's going on. I'll be 53 next, next week. So, I don't know what my family's doing. Oh, speaking of birthdays, you know, there's a thing I learned a bunch of years ago. I was in a Walmart one year, and it was my birthday. And I was standing there with the, next to this real old man. I was talking to him. And, um... We were talking about age and stuff. Was, we were talking about my birthday and stuff. And and the guy said, let me tell you a little bit about, about, about um, birthdays and ages. And he said, let me give you some advice. He goes, it's better to have a birthday than not to have a birthday. And I, and I always thought about that. <clears throat> And that's some good sound advice. It's something, you know, I kind of like lived off of. So, um, let me, I just wanted to share that with you guys. So, oh, 59 out there, you're going on 70 and shit. <laughs> you guys take care, man. Horns up, fist in air. Take care, people. And if you're listening to us live, don't go anywhere. I'm going to do part two here in a second. Just listen to Maximum Threshold Radio Show. It is live every Saturday night, 8 p.m. until whenever the fuck they shut up. So tune in. It is pointless to resist. 